Hi, everybody. Welcome to Realty Speak, the podcast where experts answer questions and share real world examples that you, the listener, can incorporate as part of your real estate investment strategy to build up revenue, realize higher returns, and retain more profit when you sell. Without further ado, here is yours truly, Bill Widener, and this episode's guest, welcome Mr. Joe Scharf. Thanks for joining us today on Realty Speak, the podcast. Thanks for having me, Bill, and welcome to Virgo Business Centers. It's good to be here, Joe. Sorry it took me a little bit longer to get here, but you know, like they say, you shouldn't take a car in the rain, and I did, and then I had to switch to the subway. Well, you're learning New York quickly, Bill. Been here like almost seven years now, so I really should have it down by now. And every time I get in a car, I wonder why I got in the car. You're a city kid, though, really, right? Well, originally I was born in Queens, but now I live in Manhattan and I love it. Right. So, uh, so let's get down to it, Joe. You know, I know you have a lot to share today with us about strategies around leasing or owning traditional office space and then the conversion of it to an operating co-working space. But before we get into the details of that, I'm curious as to why you focused on co-working spaces, especially since your family history in New York City real estate was around the ownership and management of multifamily and traditional office space assets. So, Bill, uh, as you know, in 1987, the market crashed. Uh, at that time, my family was knee-deep in residential development here in New York City. We were concentrating on the tertiary areas, uh, such as the East Village, Lower East Side, Manhattan Valley, Inwood, places of all of which been uh, gentrified already, uh, but those were the early stages. Um, my position in the family business was the hard hat. I was very involved in construction in the field all the time. I enjoyed that very much. Uh, unfortunately, in 1987, the market crashed and uh, development uh, came to a halt. My family had purchased uh, a townhouse on the Upper West Side in which we were operating our family office. Uh, once we ceased our development activities, uh, we decided to uh, enter the assisted living sector and uh, vacated the building for the most part. Um, I lived around the corner, uh, so I got the challenge of uh, doing something with this building, which is about a 7,500-square-foot uh, townhouse on 84th Street between Amsterdam and Broadway. What I did at that time was uh, put a small ad in the New York Times. Uh, there was no internet yet, was no social media yet. And uh, before I knew it, um, I had a building full of uh, local entrepreneurs, mostly residing on the Upper West Side, uh, that were working out of furnished offices and I provided secretarial services. Took me about uh, two years to uh, to figure out that there was actually a model in this, and uh, having not been terribly excited about going into the senior citizen business, I started to investigate uh, the possibility of entering uh, what we then called the executive suite business. Uh, back then, there were probably three or four companies in New York, one of which was HQ. That was the 800-pound gorilla in the room, uh, and they only had a total of seven locations in New York, if my memory serves me 
uh, correct. Uh, my theory was, uh, since I had achieved such success on the Upper West Side, which is primarily a residential neighborhood, uh, rather than trying to compete with HQ or any of the other providers that were mostly located in Midtown, I thought I would try to replicate uh, what we had done on the Upper West Side and look for a location that was either within or very near a residential uh, area. I had chosen 23rd Street and Park because it was somewhat commercial at the time and very close to the Gramercy Park residential area. So it fit those, that, those criteria. I leased a 15,000 square foot floor, really not knowing much about this business at all. But at the time, uh, the internet had finally struck, and there were means of getting the word out uh, other than newspaper ads, although we were still running them at the time. But 23rd Street and Park ended up becoming sort of the center of the universe as the internet started to explode in the um, late 1990s. 1997 is when we took that space. Uh, by the end of that year, we were full and we were negotiating for a second floor in the building. And we eventually topped out at about 30,000 feet on the corner of 23rd and Park. At the time, uh, this felt a lot like a hobby. I had some partners. We really didn't have any plans for expansion. Uh, it was a great cash flow business, but we... We just weren't sure about what this industry uh, was, um, you know, no less try to expand it. But as time went on, uh, the success continued. We were presented with opportunities that made it very hard to say no. The second opportunity we were presented with was uh, an entire floor in the Empire State Building. This wasn't long after 9-11, so as you can imagine, there weren't a lot of takers for the floors there. It was a smaller floor than we typically take. Uh, it was about 20,000 20, feet. Of course, today that's uh, equivalent to 26,000 feet. Funny how space grows. And uh, it was at a rental rate that it was really hard to turn down. Uh, and our thinking was, uh, if we can't fill 66 offices in New York City, then we're in the wrong business. So we decided to take that chance. And that sort of became the theme of Virgo going forward. Um, we, we always presented with special situations, whether it be an existing shared office facility that went out or a very friendly, friendly landlord that we can do business with. Situations have always been special. Uh, we certainly are known for getting the best, some of the best deals in the marketplace. So it's about uh, 20 plus years later, um, we had expanded to six locations plus one in White Plains, New York, and we're currently running uh, over 200,000 feet, well over 500 companies in our portfolio, and we find ourselves uh, in a position now where shared offices have become co-working, and co-working is a very hot topic in real estate today. Uh, we have much to thank to WeWork for that exposure. Uh, it's created a tremendous amount of opportunity that didn't exist for many, many years prior to their existence. We're now 
in the process of uh, thinking about how to expand and uh, where to expand. Great story. A long, long journey from the uh, townhouse to 200,000 square feet and 500 companies. And, you know, we got a lot to go over today. We got a lot of questions. Uh, One thing that you said was what used to be 20,000 square feet is now 26,000 square feet. What does that mean? So there's this term in New York, doesn't exist very much outside New York, but uh, it's called loss factor. Over the years, these loss factors have gone up anywhere from, I would say, 10% to when I started in this business to what could be as high as 35 to 40%. It's fictitious space that the uh, Real Estate uh, Board of New York has approved in terms of representing sizes of space. So bringing in the common areas into the rentable square footage uh, that would be listed on on any listing. But to make a long story short, it really is just a way to boost up the size of the space so that they can keep the rental rates low and still achieve the same revenues. So when someone paying X amount of dollars per square foot, uh, they're paying it based on the total amount that's being represented, which includes the loss factors. That is correct. So how did the name Virgo come up? So I'm born on September 19th. Um, I'm very much a Virgo. You research what Virgos are all about. I'm pretty typical to that. And uh, I thought that that would be good representation for a company that was essentially in charge of other companies' lives. And the traits of a Virgo are being orderly, highly focused, organized, and sometimes hypercritical. (laughs) Well, I can tell you that when you come into the offices here at Virgo Business Centers at 1345 Avenue of the the Americas, uh, all those traits definitely stand out. I mean, the place is immaculate. It's well organized. Everybody's very friendly. You know, it seems like something if you're going to go into a shared office space situation, this would be the place to do it. Uh, before you talked about when you started doing this, you people were taking individual offices in a shared environment that you leased and then built out and subleased to them. And now we have something called co-working space where people aren't necessarily renting out specific offices, but they're renting out the uh, or leasing out the ability to be in the space with a lot of other people. How how has your business model changed and what percentage of your uh, square feet that you're managing at this point is co-working as opposed to individual offices? The term co-working is relatively new. It came about through companies that started to understand the the good economics of, uh, of our sector, but they didn't necessarily have the funds or the financing to be able to build a full-out shared office center uh, typical to a Virgo or some of my, uh, my immediate competitors. And I think that that segment of uh, our business just needed to rebrand. Uh, Executive Suites obviously didn't, uh, didn't match what their style was. Shared offices, well, they weren't really offices. Managed office is another term that's go- that's been going around. You know, they're not really doing that either because they're not managing these individual companies. So co-working was just a word, uh, sounded very current, very modern. 
And by definition, that's what co-working is. We're finding, though, that uh, the economics uh, didn't really work. There might have been uh, some resistance uh, to the open room that everybody thought was going to be so hip and cool. And uh, people are actually going back to uh, private offices or, or at least closed spaces. And what we're finding now is a lot of these co-working uh, locations are being forced to throw up walls and create offices uh, and invest the money that they had initially intended on saving. So it's nice to hear that comparison because to tell you the truth, I, I really didn't understand that distinction until you just shared that with me. So there's really two markets here. There's the market for the group of people that would be interested in that co-working collaborative type of space. And then there's the market for what it is that you do, which is the individual office suites of different sizes uh, with all the services that you would expect if you had your own office and you hired employees being provided for you. Obviously, now, you know, there's Wi-Fi and there's, um, you know, direct Internet and there's phone service and uh, there's all this technology that can go along with it. You're providing a little bit of a higher end of operation for people to run their businesses out of. I often ask uh, some of my friendly competitors what their distinction is uh, in the market because the style of, of office providers that we all are is becoming somewhat of, uh, of a dinosaur. And it's, uh, it's a complicated task to try to stay current uh, in a marketplace where we work and other such companies are, are providing ping pong tables and, and cultural events and whatnot. Virgo has made uh, conscious a conscious decision not to try to compete with being all that cool and hip. We model ourselves as being the last stop before our tenants either grow out of the shared office environment and uh, move on to take uh, their own space in a traditional office building. That's our distinction. We um, we don't profess to be cool and hip. Um, I often refer to us as the nerds. We like the nerds because they they're sticky. Um, what you really want in this business because it's it it's so transient uh, to begin with. Uh, you want to get as sticky a clientele as you can. Uh, the longer we can keep our people people, the happier we are. But as long as there are a lot of nerds out there, Virgo's going to do pretty well. You know, I like to say, you're a nerd, I'm a nerd. So we're not really judging nerds. We're actually nerds ourselves, aren't we? That's been working for us. Loving every minute of it. So anyway, Joe, I want to get into the nuts, of, nuts and bolts of how this is done. So the lessee, you, pays rent to the lessor, who's the owner of the real estate. You then build out that space. And in essence, you sublease it to the people that are renting the individual offices and part of what they're paying includes all the services that you're providing. Now, I would imagine that you could also own a building and do this with it. As a matter of fact, that's kind of what you did when you had that first townhome. Which model do you like best or do you have a combination of both? How does that work? Well, there's no doubt that owning a building is the preferred way to go. Um, Primarily because at the end of a lease, you really have nothing 
you really don't have any exit. Uh, when you own the building, you, of course, have the depreciation during your hold period, uh, and that's where the money is made in real estate. Uh, the shared office uh, sector is, is a very healthy industry on a cash flow basis, but uh, it, it really doesn't leave much uh, in terms of equity. So how long of a lease do you like to get? When we started, we, we thought the longer the lease, the more advantageous it would be uh, uh, in terms of negotiating deal terms. But what we've since learned is that spaces get old, uh, you know, not just dirty and tired, but styles change uh, in 15 years uh, is a long time uh, in the architectural and design world. So you can become pretty antiquated uh, after 10 years, I would say. So uh, these days where we look at 10-year deals, we would even consider um, five to seven-year deals if, uh, if there wasn't much work involved in getting in. But the lease terms have definitely shrunk since we entered the business 20 years ago. So when you're underwriting an opportunity, you're building in that if you have a lease for a specific amount of years, that at that point, your ability to leverage that investment could just go away and be zero. And and so if you can renegotiate something at the end of that term, and if you even want to, then you can, but you've already built in the factor that this may end at the end of that seven years. Absolutely. Um, we have yet to renew a lease. Uh, we've only had one lease expire. We renewed it for a period of two years just as a test because we, we, we just weren't sure how that was going to play out. As it turns out, um, we didn't enjoy those, those uh, two additional years of the lease. The rent had gotten astronomically high. And typically, that's what happens at the end of the lease. Uh, it's not just the rent. But it's all the escalations and all the other little goodies that uh, that start to add up toward the end uh, of your lease, and things get prohibitively expensive. Not to mention that closing down a facility uh, as as our tenants start to vacate um, and and reduce our revenues becomes a costly matter as well. Right, because then at that point, people are moving out over a timeline but you still have 100% of the space and you really can't fill it again because you know that the lease is going to be up. And I have to pay rent until that last day. Right. So uh, do you build that in as a factor as well when you're doing your original underwriting? We do now. <laughs> we didn't know about <laughs> oh, that up yeah, front. Yeah, right. Well, you know, uh, sometimes you don't know what you don't know and then you find it out and then you're like, okay, well, I'm not going there again. <laughs> yeah, it's called hard knocks. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, uh, okay. Well, now everyone that's listening to this knows they definitely got to factor that in if they're thinking about doing it with their own buildings. Absolutely. So when you take space, uh, do you prefer that it's 100% vacant? Due to a previous office, shared office operator or? Yeah, I mean, it could be that, but it, it could also be, you know, let's say you're taking, you know, a 20,000 square foot floor and the lease for the current tenant in there that has 5,000 square feet of it is over in a year. And the landlord says, look, I'll give you this whole floor but, you know, you're still going to have this other 5,000 square feet occupied by this tenant. Is that something that you would look at or do you just prefer that the entire space is vacant so that you can go in and do what you need to do? 
Yeah, we would never consider a space uh, that was partially occupied, uh, nor would we consider a space uh, of a partial floor. And we prefer uh, that the elevators service our space only on any on, in any given building. How does the current condition of the space play into it? Do you prefer to get something that's white box? Do you prefer to get something that has a lot of FF and E that's not built out at all? Does it matter? So of the seven deals that we've done in New York City, we've only had to build one out from scratch. We typically look at situations that are partially built uh, that don't require a, a full uh, installation. It's better for the landlord, clearly, because typically they're funding uh, our construction. Uh, it's better for us because it gets us in quicker. We have a better understanding of what the space is or, uh, or what it's going to look like. Uh, and that's been our MO. Well, we've, we've done several uh, degrees of retrofitting over the years. Uh, but for the most part, we look for spaces that are suitable to, to a certain extent. Joe, so someone owns a building and they're operating it as traditional office space. And they find that they're going to have a floor that is coming available and they're speaking to you, either they reached out to you or you reached out to them. What's the advantage of them doing this with you as opposed to just continuing to lease the space out like they do in the rest of the building, like they have on this floor previously? Well, for one thing, the market is not as frothy as uh, one might think. Uh, there, there aren't a million tenants looking for space today. Um the uh, shared office sector or the co-working sector is actually becoming one of the largest occupiers of space in New York City today. In fact, I think WeWork is the second largest occupier of space behind J.P. Morgan. We really are the food of choice uh, right now for the landlords. Um, of course, uh, they are looking for the, uh, the cream of the crop, if possible. If WeWork fits that mold, then that's who they can get. And if it's a company like Virgo, who's been in the business a long time, has a great reputation with the landlords, uh, they would prefer companies like that uh, rather than some of the startups or the you know traditional co uh, co-working spaces that are sprouting up all over the place. Additionally, uh, and I'm not sure how important this is to a lot of landlords, uh, but the smart ones realize that Having a facility like this in their building is a feeder uh, for their traditional space throughout the building. And we've very often seen uh, clients of ours graduate uh, from our space and go direct to the building with some uh, more significant space. So it's a tremendous advantage to the building owner because they have the opportunity now to fill space that they may not have been able to fill. You're taking the entire floor from them. You're also attracting people to their building that may rent traditional office space later on when those businesses thrive. I mean, that's great. That actually cuts down on the operation of the building for the building owner. We weren't always uh, a preferred tenant in New York City. Uh, there was a time where shared office or back then executive uh, suite companies were actually not on the landlord's hit list. In fact, I still get calls from brokers today that tell me, uh, I found a great space for you uh, and landlord will approve your use. 
that sounds a little ridiculous to us to today for the reasons we just discussed, but that's still in in the conversation. It's part of the language that goes on uh, between brokers and uh, and landlords. So uh, it, it it wasn't always that way. Are the kinds of terms that you see in the leases that you have with the owners similar to those for traditional office space uh, in terms of utilities, prorated share of expenses, other things, et cetera? Our leases are pretty much identical to any other lease uh, in, in any given building. Um, there are some nuances uh, with regard to our leases because, in essence, we are subletting our space, so there, there have to be provisions that, that account for that. But for the most part, uh, we're treated uh, just as, as a bank or law firm or accounting firm would be treated. So in traditional office space, does the landlord usually fund the build-out for the tenant? Yeah, I don't think they're doing any more for us than they would do for another credit tenant. Um, Virgo has been around long enough now to command uh, the kind of incentives that it receives. So for the most part, uh, we rarely put any money into the installation before we move into the space. And that includes the FF&E? No, that is our only investment. The FF&E? Yeah. Yeah. And then you take that with you when you leave? Not really. Oh, you don't? You just leave it behind. Yeah. Yeah. So it has a lifespan, and the lifespan is how long you're going to be here. Right. All right. So tell me a little bit more about your business model in terms of the services that you provide. So uh, what what's the breakdown? Somebody gets what kind of space? What services are available to them? So we're not a desking company. Uh, there's a lot of conversation these days about price per desk, so on and so forth. We might think of it that way from time to time when we're selling offices, but we really rent offices. Uh, as I mentioned before, we're the last stop before traditional real estate. So we think uh, think of our real estate really in terms of more traditional real estate. We value it by the square foot. Um, and we do make certain assumptions with regard to the number of people that are going to be in an office. But for the most part, we're just renting offices, just like a traditional landlord rents a space. And how many employees do you need to have in space? Let's say you have a 15,000 square foot floor. How many employees would Virgo be hiring to support the people that are renting from you? We typically keep two people on site. We have a uh, general manager and an assistant. They both double as uh, receptionists. We have a fairly robust middle management staff. So uh, we have people located in various different locations around the city. But that allows us to really keep the on-site staff at a minimum. It wasn't always like that. Uh, We found over the years, though, our clientele has really become more independent uh, by the year uh, to the extent where they, they almost don't need anybody. But clearly, if you're running a real estate operation, you need people around to uh, maintain it. If someone rents space on your floor and they have an individual office, they have a telephone in there, right? That's correct. Did they pay for the telephone or the telephone's included? Over time, and primarily because uh, because of WeWork and, and some of its similar competitors, we've been moving more toward the all-in pricing. Telephones are not quite there yet because there's still the international charges that have to be accounted for. But I, I think by the end of next year, we'll probably have an all-in pricing that will include uh, internet access and telephone service 
with the exception of international phone calls, which will be billed individually. So is there a menu of options for prospective tenant that they can pick from, or is it all or nothing? The options are much fewer than they used to be. We had different pricing uh, for different levels of internet access. Clients used to use our messenger services, our postal services, uh, technology services uh, more than they do today. Obviously, everybody's a lot more independent, a lot more technologically uh, savvy. And uh, we've really found that the service income, as we used to call it, has, has really dropped dramatically over the years. Essentially, outside of rent, our biggest revenue line items are conference rooms and virtual clients. What's virtual clients? So virtual client is uh, somebody who does not have a physical presence at our location, but they maintain a phone number, address, and from time to time we might answer their phones, obviously called virtual office, because if you try to reach that company, it sounds like they have a real office when in fact they're probably at home or traveling probably a lot more that going on now than before. A lot of people, because of the internet, are able to work completely remote. That's true, but uh, they're much less address conscious than they used to be. Uh, I feel like there's been a drop off in that. People don't mind just working out of their home and admitting it. Most of the virtual customers we get uh, are through attrition from people that leave our physical space and want to maintain a, a presence or a phone number or don't want to change their phone number and whatnot. Uh, there are also companies out there that broker these type of, uh, these type of clients, so we, we get quite a bit of business from them as well. But it's all tied to the conference rooms, which, which they like to use a lot. Very few of them are concerned about the address anymore. It's just the hassle of changing your address and your phone number when you leave a physical space. The real estate owners, no matter where they are, it could be New York or any other state or anywhere in the world for that matter, they usually have a platform that they use to manage it all. How do you keep track of everything that you're doing? Because you have so many different people in a space. How do you keep track? Well, there's software that does that for us, but uh, I really have to attribute uh, our success uh, to the staff that we have. We, everybody we have has been with us uh, for a minimum of 15 years, uh, and they've all grown up within the company, uh, starting as receptionists, um, starting as sales assistants. Having a great team really helps in tracking the amount of movement that we, that is incurred every single day at our locations. So your staff are people that are either on site or in your main office? Yes. And you said you have about 200,000 square feet right now. That's correct. What would you say about the culture of the space itself? I mean, there's an integration of your company, your staff, either on site or in your main office, and then the working environment of your shared space business model. How do you, especially in these times where it has become that much more important to support a really great working environment, what are you doing around that? Well, I'd like to think that uh, the environment at Virgo somehow mirrors the environment uh, that my partner and I have created as per our own lifestyles. Uh, our, our thinking is that if we're serious, mature, working adults and uh, we enjoy the environment we're working in, there's got to be many others who enjoy the same. 
So to the extent that, you know, we've created the environment in Virgo, I think is just a, a reflection of who we are, who the principles of Virgo are. Luckily, uh, as I said before, there are a lot of people out there uh, who really appreciate that level of service and professionalism. So you've led by example. I would say so. Now, before you talked about your friendly competitors, uh, how many friendly competitors do you have? So I would say there, there are about five or six companies that I consider direct competitors. I've made it a point to, to make them friendly competitors because uh, it really is us against the world uh, these days. We're all about the same size. We all do about the same thing. I would say that, uh, you know, if there was a teacher in our world, uh, Regis, you know, the former HQ that became Regis was that. That was the model that we, we grew up with. We've take, we've all taken it in slightly different directions over the years, but for the most part, that is the product. Uh, we're taking the farm, we're cutting it up, and uh, we're renting out the parcels for as much as we can. Up until now, Joe, you indicated that everything that you have, that 200,000 square feet, is leith space. But before you talked a little bit about the advantage of maybe owning the building. Is that something that you're looking to do? And if so, why? And and what are your thoughts about the marketplace with regard to that? Well, that's been on my mind for uh, probably the last 10 years. Um, although, you know, any more than three years ago, I don't think I would have been able to have that conversation with uh, equities, bank, investors, etc. Uh, WeWork clearly has changed the landscape there. It's it's brought in the institutional interest, and as we all know, New York City real estate is not cheap, and it, it almost it almost requires uh, a developer to have uh, institutional backing. Just to back it up for a second, uh, as you know, uh, my DNA is real estate. It's bricks and mortar. It defies everything. Uh, every every bit of DNA in my body uh, to be a tenant uh, in New York City. And now that I've been one and a rather large one for uh, for almost 20 years, I realize how challenging it really is to be a tenant in New York. Uh, things are really good and friendly and uh, before you sign a lease, but once you put the ink on the paper, things change dramatically. In fact, part of what I think the industry needs to see as a whole is is a much friendlier uh, relationship between landlord and tenant. So that's just one of the things I would like to bring to the market uh, as a landlord and not a tenant. But the other advantages in in owning your building clearly we discussed uh, you know the ability, the ability to take part in the upside when you exit the building, but uh, more importantly. Just uh, in terms of the operation itself, as a tenant, you're very limited to what you can do in an office building uh, where there are 25 or 250 or 2,000 other tenants. What I mean by that is I think when a person comes to work, they want to be inspired at the front door. They want to feel good when they walk into a building. And that's something that traditional office buildings have uh, yet to accomplish. I think it's in the pipeline, but uh, we haven't seen that yet. So we'd like to be able to bring our experience down to the front door, the front desk uh, of these office buildings. 
we're also limited by our the constraints of our leases in what we're allowed to do and uh, and what we're not allowed to do or what what is expensive to do if we wanted to do it. We're kind of handcuffed uh, to for to a very specific set of rules as a tenant in a building. I believe that if we were able to expand that, we would be much more successful, but uh, it's almost impossible in Class A office buildings in New York City. That's part of uh, one of the uh, many reasons that I, that I would like to own the buildings instead of leasing in them. And as I mentioned before, we're really in the real estate business. Uh, to the extent that we lease space, you know, it makes us retailers to a certain extent, but we're still in the real estate business. And at the end of the day, if you're going to be in the real estate business, you want to own it. Even the smart re- retailers will tell you that. When I see a really, really great retail establishment, uh, say a restaurant, boutique store, and I think to myself, if they don't own the real estate, when their lease is over, their business could be over. And of course, we see examples of that every week here in New York City with rising rents in that kind of space. So I agree with you. It definitely makes more sense to own it than to lease it. We, we're also able to control our destiny, obviously, and, and manage our expenses. Uh, when you own a building, uh, your expenses are not just lower, but also more predictable. Um, so from a financial aspect, it makes a lot of sense as well. So at the beginning of our talk, you mentioned that your family, you know, way back in the 80s was knee deep in multifamily before the market crashed. So you have a lot of experience around multifamily as well. Obviously, you have experience around traditional office space. How would you compare the two property types? Well, um, there's no shortage of money for multifamily, (laughs) for one. Uh, Offices are tricky. Um, Offices are becoming a game for the big boys. The very large companies are starting to dominate the the office market. A um, few smaller players uh, that are forward thinking, um, probably thinking more in terms of how the shared office industry is operating. But for the most part, um, I think the Class A uh, office buildings in New York City are being consolidated uh, by the institutional investors. And you talked about there being a lot of capital available for multifamily. Uh, What do you think of multifamily at this point? Uh, You can't really go wrong with multifamily long-term rents, unlike in the rest of the country. uh, Rents rise in New York. They just do. People figure out how to live with that. Uh, I I don't think we're we're losing many people uh, to the rent hikes, but somehow that's baked into the... uh, to the salaries that are being offered uh, in New York. It's the safest real estate. Well, you always need a place to live. Uh, The three essentials are food, shelter, and clothing. People always need something to wear, they always need something to eat, and they always need a place to live. But depending on what's happening in the economy, they may not always need a place to work because they may not have a job or a company to go to. Uh, This is true. What we've found over the years, though, is that uh, working out of the home is is not a very successful uh, way to accomplish your goals. Although if things get to the point where, you know, you can't really afford any any more than the big three that you just mentioned. Yeah, I would say, you know, the car and the office are the next two things to go. Uh, But it's pretty high up there. You know, if, if it's not number four, it's a close one. Joe, we're running out of time, but I can see that you are tremendously passionate 
about this business model. And before we finish up, could you just share with our listeners, especially those that own or anticipate owning office space and would like to either transition into this model or start with this model, give them some encouragement and maybe a little advice on what to do and what not to do? Well, my advice to uh, other entrepreneurs who are looking at the shared office space as their possible next venture, uh, you know, it, it's a little harder to get into this business than it was 20 years ago. Uh, 20 years ago, all you needed was uh, a little bit of money, not a lot. Uh, and you were in business. You, you, you pretty much never got into the red. Uh, you always had enough free rent to, to cover that. Uh, in some cases, if you were lucky, the landlord would have given you enough money to build out your space. But um, but these days, it's highly competitive, which means uh, your marketing budget needs to be robust. And it's really hard to compete with the guys that have the five, six, seven, eight locations, uh, no less, you know, the WeWorks uh, and the Notels of the world that have, you know, uh, I don't know, 30, 40, 50, 60 locations at this point. So that that's my advice uh, to to the startups. Uh, I would just be very well funded going in um, uh, to cover a, a advertising and marketing uh, budget. In terms of uh, landlords and building owners and managers, uh, I think they need to start paying attention to this model because, uh, in my opinion. Uh, the key word going forward in uh, office building uh, leasing is going to be flexibility. Uh, I think that this new generation of tenancy is all about flexibility. Uh, they're willing to pay for flexibility, um, but they want it. Now, flexibility has, has presented itself in almost every other sector uh, of real estate, uh, residentially, uh, hotels, of course. Um, almost every other sector has is is presented uh, is presenting uh, flexibility these days, but offices have resisted for many years. We are seeing uh, some flexibility by, uh, from the landlords. Uh, lease terms have have shrunk from what used to be ten to fifteen years. I would say the average lease now is three to five years. Uh, but it's not yet as flexible as the shared office uh, model which, um, at least in Virgo's case, does month to month. Um, uh, many of my competitors don't agree with me, but uh, we're clearly, we're, we're nearly 100% uh, occupied, and I, I don't know if the, the rest of them can claim that. So it seems to be working for us. Flexibility is the key. Creating an environment, collaborative environment, a friendly, cozy environment, you know, that can't hurt. I mean, landlords are onto that already. Uh, they're already starting to amenitize their buildings. But in my opinion, uh, landlords really need to start looking at the, the flexibility issue uh, and start to conform sooner than later because it's coming whether they like it or not. Well, Joe, fabulous. That was incredible. Many great ideas. And while we covered many topics around this shared office space today, I think our listeners may have some questions for you in the future. Is it okay if they reach out to you? Absolutely. Uh, tell them what your website is. www.virgobc.com. And repeat that again for me. 
Virgo, V-I-R-G-O-B-C, as in boycharlie.com. All right, and so that's the website. How about your email? My email is joe at virgobc.com. And can they call you? Absolutely. 212-601-2683 is my direct line. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Bill. It was great doing this. It's my first podcast. I appreciate the opportunity and look forward to doing many more. And there you have it, Mr. Joe Scharf. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Bill. Hey there, everyone. Thank you for listening. I look forward to you joining in for the next episode of Realty Speak, the podcast. Don't want to miss an episode? Then subscribe right on the player and choose your favorite platform like iTunes or Google Play Music. Or just search for Realty Speak on your device's podcast app like Podcast Republic, my fave on Android devices, or Overcast on Apple devices. And now Realty Speak is also on Spotify. To share with others, just choose Share on the player and choose your preferred social media platform. And of course, you and I can connect to chat about your plans with your real estate investments, whether to buy, sell, or just chat about strategies on what you currently own. The website is BillWeidner.com, and all my information is there. That's B-I-L-L-W-E-I-D-N-E-R.com. And remember, it's not about us, but about how we help you make the bottom line rise. Until next time.